so really quickly, I don't want to take up too much of his time because I want you guys to uh, be able to enjoy the spirit at work through this man. But uh, this is one of my favorite people in the entire world as well. Uh, Andy's a gift to our church. Uh, some of you guys got to meet him uh, a couple weeks ago. Maybe you were here a couple weeks ago. Uh, but Andy leads Restore Church Uptown, the very first Restore Church that got planted. Uh, he is a lover of the church, man. He loves the bride. He serves the bride. Uh, one of my favorite things about Andy is just like he really is a passionate leader about, for the church. He wants to see God's kingdom advance. He wants to see men and women, boys and girls, experience God's love for them in radical ways. You'll, you'll get a sense through a sense of humor and through his wit and through, honestly, just the spirit in him that he actually cares he cares deeply about people. He cares deeply about the church. That's what the, that's what the church is, is people. So I asked him to come in today to continue on in our series, What is the Church? Because we're exploring what it is the church, what it is the scriptures say the church is, because that's what we want to plant. We want to plant what the Bible says the church is, not necessarily what culture says. Uh, Christian or secular doesn't matter. We want to be true to the scriptures. So I asked him to come and talk to us about what does leadership look like in the church? We've talked about the family. We've talked about the body. We've talked about the bride. How does that kind of practically play out in our day-to-day lives and what, is, what role does leadership play? So I want to pray for him before he jumps in. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this man and the gift that he is. Um, his heart to see your kingdom advance um, and other people experience your grace in the same way that he's experienced it. Um, I love his story. I love his gift. Um, I love the the way that you use him. And I pray, Lord, that you would minister to all of us um, through my friend, through my brother tonight. In your your holy name, Jesus, amen. Guys, so uh, we don't have guest speakers here. He's extended family. And we're people of grace, okay? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So here's what I want you to do. As like an act and a demonstration of grace, I want you to stand to your feet for a moment. And I want you to give him a huge round of applause oh, before man, he's even said a word. Before he's even said a word, right. welcome him. Right. Love you very much, bro. Thanks, guys. Uh, I'll grab a seat. Yeah, uh, I didn't know. Yeah, it's a little, it's exciting. Um, so tonight I'm going to talk about church leadership. It's kind of a weird topic, week four of a church uh, soft launch thing. But as you guys are talking about um, what the church is and Tom asked me to speak on this. I realized that for a lot of you guys, you don't even know, like we've talked about, like the church, there's so many views on what the church is. A lot of us had different stories, different backgrounds um, with the church. Some of us have had good experiences. Some of us have had really random in between. Some of us have had awful, painful, wounding experiences. And I think in the same way that a lot of us are like, man, what is the church? Within that whole thing, there's a lot of different stories and views on church leadership. As a church, we really want to be shaped by what this book says about church leadership, not what culture says or what anyone says. And I think there's so much confusion about what leadership is, what it's supposed to be. Um, I remember I was on staff at a church of about 20,000 people, a massive mega church. And uh, me and my friend, we started a ministry and our goal was to reach college students. And that ministry kept growing and growing and growing, grew to about... Um, 600 people. And I bring up the size just to say two things. One, um, it was very much a business, church as a business. It wasn't really a fan. It was very much, uh, we just want to grow and grow and grow. Some cool things God did through that ministry. Um, at the same time, though, it definitely was a, um, a kind of a bottom line space. How many people are coming to your thing? What are you up to? What are you doing? And, uh, and so we started our church, we started our ministry. And, and why it was important, um, kind of the size of the thing was, uh, why I bring that up again, not to show off or anything, was there's a couple of us working really hard at it. And, uh, but, but, but just to say that we were doing a pretty good thing. It was going pretty well. We had people growing in faith, growing as Christians, growing in community. And, uh, and I was 20 years old uh, leading this whole thing, part-time doing this. And I remember um, 
they basically brought us in. They sat us down, me and my buddy, a uh, guy that leads Restored Southie now, Danny. And, and uh, someone just said, our boss said, hey, just so you know, or he said, hey, they want to license you guys. I want to make you officially pastors, or whatever that means, and, uh, and which we we're excited about. We're like, cool. And I'll give you a very, very modest pay raise. The pay raise was up to 30 grand. Uh, so that was, we'd started somewhere else. And, uh, and then about three weeks later, they said, hey, just so you know, there's a pastor on kind of the board. He found out how old you guys are. So we've actually taken back your license. You're too young to, 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 to do this. And, and I remember th- we were really hurt and bummed and confused. And we were probably too young to be in it in the first place. But, but at the same time, you're empowering us to do the work. So it's just a weird thing. And I said, well, is it that the quality of the work, like they've inspected the work, it's not very like, no. Is it they found out something about my character? No. They said, just your age, like you shouldn't have a title like that at your age. Like, you, you, you know, it's too big of a title. And, and I'll never forget it. My boss, he was a very much all about kind of developing leaders, young leaders. He said, Andy, why this is a big deal is, is for those guys is they think leadership's about a title, not about service. So he said, for them, the reason this is a big deal is they think they're giving you a big title. They don't realize that leadership is giving your life away. And, uh, and so, so I was, oh, that's interesting. That's all I've known, you know, rolling with him. And so, so what I want you to hear today is leadership's not primarily about a title. Um, like, so when people say Pastor Andy, I usually correct them and say, I'm Andy, I happen to be a pastor. Um, I'm not, it's, it's, it's not a, a title. Um, and uh, so leadership, I think one of the, if you want a picture, a little picture of what church leadership should be like, don't think um, big shot CEO, kind of uh, poor man's Tony Robbins uses the Bible. Um, think, think Harriet Tubman. You know who Harriet Tubman is? Uh, she, she was a, a woman uh, during the Civil War. She, um, her nickname was Black Moses. She, uh, she, had, she was a woman who was a slave. Uh, she, was, she was beaten. She was sexually assaulted. She was treated terribly. She had a, uh, uh, a horseshoe thrown at her head at an early age. She, she, had, she had a very painful life. She ended up escaping slavery. She got to the North uh, during the Civil War. Uh, recently, by the way, she's going to be on the $10 bill, which I think is amazing. I could cry talking about it. I think she's an amazing woman. And... Uh, and uh, what she did was, is she got to the north, she tasted an amazing freedom that she did not gain for herself. Uh, she, she was help, someone helped, es- helped her escape, uh, helped her get free. And she tasted this freedom, she tasted a liberation, and she thought to herself, other people need to experience this. Like this freedom is like palpable, it's amazing. And there are people who are still in slavery. And so what she decided to do was um, at great risk to herself, she went back into the South 13 times that we know of. And each time she brought um, about 10 uh, African-American just slaves and brought them into freedom. She kept going back. She said, this is too good to keep for myself. I, need, I want others to experience this freedom. And in the gospel, we experience a freedom that we didn't earn for ourselves, but it's too good to keep to ourselves. And so we have this moment where we realize like, like we're, we're set free. It, it, the gospel, religion is the opposite of this, but, but the gospel and Jesus, um, we're set free from having to prove ourselves to God. That Jesus proves us, proves, proves, um, uh, proves, uh, uh, man, I'm really, he, he, he has met all the requirements for us to be saved. I'm blanking on this term, um, which is weird as a pastor. Um, we don't need to prove ourselves to God. We don't need to prove ourselves to other people because God delights in us. It doesn't matter what you think of me and not like in a mean you know, teenage rebellious, me against the world, just something like what you think of me doesn't define me. I don't need to prove myself to my, myself anymore because I don't need to cover up my shame because he took my shame on the cross. I don't need to try to um, change myself, my own strength that I'm now given this Holy Spirit who changes me from the inside out as I partner with him, that I'm being set free from. The, I, know, I don't know about you guys, what you believe, you even believe in sin, um, but whatever you want to call it, we all have this destructive tendency to do dumb stuff. 
I'll call it dumb crap, okay? Uh, we, have this, we have this natural tendency to, to naturally move towards destroying our lives. Uh, if, if, we just made, if we all just made decisions that we wanted to make all the time without input, that's kind of where we would be. Society is just holding all of us back so often from doing the things that we want to do, and your thought life would prove that. And, and so we've experienced all of this, and then we go, you know what? I'm set free from the power of sin. I'm set free from the penalty of sin. Um, and I want other people to experience this. And so I go back and I go back and I go back. And church planning is an act of going back to help other people experience the freedom of Jesus. That's what this is. We don't want to start like a religious event. We want to start a, a family of, of men and women who are set free by our powerful Savior who came back for us. He entered into human history to meet us where we were, to grab us, to pull us out. And so that's church leadership. It's, it's the work of um, organizing and um, serving and love, uh, loving in such a way that people, men and women, are set free. Uh, we're just organizing that work and uh, helping oversee that work and being examples in that work. Um, so there's a guy named, an uh, Anglican scholar, a guy named Roland Allen. So, so when you think church leadership, think that, by the way. Leadership that exists for the benefit of others, not for the person. Harriet Tubman definitely had a leadership role. It wasn't to make her look awesome. It wasn't for her benefit. She did not get rich doing it. In her day, she was an outlaw. She did not know she would end up on a $10 bill. Uh, she thought she'd end up dead or re, uh, re-enslaved. And, and so, so it, her leadership existed for the benefit of others. Uh, but there's a guy named Roland Allen. He's an Anglican scholar, a guy from England. He wrote a book in the 70s called uh, Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or Ours. And he said that Paul did three things. And, and Paul was kind of a good church planner. He was an apostle. Apostle just means sent one. And uh, in Roland Allen's book, he said that Paul would do three things uh, every time he would plant a church. How he planted churches was he would, one, preach the gospel, he would two, make disciples of those who believe the gospel. And three, he would raise up leaders from among those disciples to oversee that community as leaders. Uh, and over a few months, uh, or over even over a few, over a few years, uh, you'd go from new Christian to elder. Brand new Christian to pastor. It was very common a uh, couple of years in the early church. They didn't have seminaries. They didn't have these long, long training programs. The training program was you got saved, you're hanging out with that guy, you're learning a whole lot and becoming like Jesus and, and, and you're doing the work Jesus did and then you get sent off to do more of that. And that's how Paul planted churches, man. Preach Jesus, gather disciples around Jesus and then over time see who the faithful crop, gifted crop were who become elders. And so I don't think we can come up with a better philosophy of ministry than the Apostle Paul. Like he's pretty rad uh, guy, uh, pretty good track record, wrote like a lot of the Bible, uh, pr- pretty big deal. And so that's what we long to do. Uh, restored, the restored family of churches are elder-led churches, okay? Elder-led churches. And today I'm going to talk about um, what elders are and, and, and kind of what leadership is in the church. Um, by the way, uh, elders for us, that, that's synonymous with pastors, okay? They're not two things. There isn't like elders and pastors in the Bible. They are the same person. Um, there isn't like a, um, I think a lot of times we think elders, we think like guys smoking cigars in a back room, making financial decisions, and then pastors praying with little old ladies. And that's kind of the deal. No, they, 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 um, they, they are one and the same. Uh, elders are pastors. Um, the idea of an elder board is, is something that the government puts together. That's kind of a business idea to have a board. Um, it, it's a team of pastors who uh, lead the church together. Um, and so you might wonder, okay, who are the elders of this church? There's only one uh, right now. His name's Tom. Um, and you might go, why don't we have more elders? It's because we haven't raised them up yet here. And so that's what we see with Paul. He comes in and then he raises um, people up. And you, and you see this in 1 Timothy 5. I just want to look at this really quickly. Um, 1 Timothy 
19 to 22, Paul's writing to a young leader named Timothy, who's helping oversee a group of churches in what's uh, uh, modern-day Ephesus. Uh, sorry, Ephesus, kind of modern-day Turkey. And, uh, and he is, um, he's talking to him about setting up elders. This guy is a church planner, apostolic young leader, and he is uh, setting up elders. And if, uh, 5, 19 to 22, he says, Do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, uh, the elders, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that uh, the rest may stand in fear in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels. I charge you uh, to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing for partiality. Verse 22 is the big verse for us. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. So, so what Paul's saying is you don't want to appoint elders too quickly because you might not know their character yet to where you have to actually like get, you have to like pull them out because they're disqualified, they've sinned. You got to come up on stage, go, hey, this pastor shouldn't be a pastor. He's a terrible person. You didn't know that. Uh, he's not even, he's probably not even a Christian. Uh, you don't have to get into that action if you just wait and take your time, okay? It's easier to, I say this all the time to, to people who are dating, um, there's no rush to get married. Uh, if you don't know the person well enough yet, take your time. I always say, um, have you gotten into a big fight yet? They go, no. Then you don't actually know this person. Let's take it slow. Okay? And the same way with elders. I mean, if you, have you seen how they are going to react to different scenarios? I've seen awful stories. We work with a church in Ireland, and uh, I was talking to the guy there, and they were a smaller church. People were like, man, we need elders. There was a guy who had a ministry background, um, but, but was, had been out of ministry for a while, kind of went to Bible college and stuff. And so he said, man, I can teach the new believers class, start helping out some stuff. And then long story short, about a year later, uh, came out, he was sleeping with a girl in the church. He was getting drunk all the time. And to top it off, he got in a classic pastoral move, a high-speed chase with the police through town. Uh, needless to say, he was glad he didn't make that guy an elder. He had an awkward enough conversations because he was doing stuff, but he was really considering that. And Paul's point is you can avoid all that action by just getting to know people, testing their character over time. You see how they react to adversity, how they react to financial, how they, how they react to, to conflict, what their marriage really looks like. And so, 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 so that's why I don't have elders besides Tom. However, Tom doesn't work isolated. Um, I, we, the first week we met here, me, Brad, and Danny uh, lead Restored LA, Restored South Bay, Restored Uptown. Um, we are on a team that works with uh, Tom and Ebony, and I can ask him about his marriage. I can see the bank accounts there. I can see any, any questions you guys have about Tom. We can talk about them. He's not operating in isolation uh, at the same time. Um, so, uh, so today I want to look at three things regarding leadership in the church. The first two have to do with elders, uh, uh, the character of an elder, who they are, two, the competency of an elder. Again, these are just pastors who lead the church, what they do. And then um, three different kinds of leaders, not necessarily elders, but different kinds of leaders we also see in the church. Um, when I say elder-led, again, I mean a group of elders, a group of pastors leading the church. And we believe in what's called a plurality of elders. That is a group of pastors uh, leading the church. We do not have a CEO or a dictator, a one-man show. So even though Tom's starting the work here, um, he would prefer to have other elders here. He's not trying to like, I want to do my, just do my own thing, because he's not, like I said. Um, so it's not a one-man making all the decisions. Uh, at our church, we have two other elders besides me, Herrick and Royce. Um, um, uh, so not a dictator CEO, but it also is not a democracy. Okay. That's important too. We are not, we don't believe in kind of a congregational church where there's voting. Um, that's a very Western American idea prior to Western governments taking off, democracy taking off. This wasn't even something that was ever, uh, brought up in churches. Um, uh, the church again is like a family. Okay. Um, so think family. So in your fa with parents, you have a plurality, you have a, a mom and a dad, right? Leading the home, uh, together. Um, 
uh, and in the family, uh, a good, good, so I'll just talk about dads for a second. If you're a good leader in your home, um, you're going to consider your family when you make decisions. You're not going to spring a move to Indiana on them. You're going to go, hey, we're thinking about maybe making this move. How would this impact you guys? Paul, um, again, uh, church to family, Paul uses very intimate language in uh, his letter to the Thessalonian church. He, he says he's like a, this is how he describes his leadership. He's like a nursing mother to them, okay? That is not CEO, big boy, right, leadership, right? Like, like you don't have a lot of emails from CEOs. I'm just such a nursing mother to you. If it is, it's kind of a scandal. It's a weird situation, um, very intimate, tender language. By the way, Tom's not going to breastfeed you. Don't worry. But leadership in the church is an intimate, nurturing relationship. Leaders in the church, elders, they have authority, but just like in, in the home, uh, with a good parent, for example, the authority exists for the benefit of those underneath it, not for the benefit of the one who possesses it. Worldly leadership is all about, um, authority is all about um, propping yourself up, using other people to prop yourself up. Leadership in the kingdom is all about getting underneath people and lifting them up. Kingdom leadership lifts up those who are being led. It doesn't stand on top of them to crush them. I have a friend who grew up in Zimbabwe. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw, but this last week, Robert Mugabe, a dictator, has been in power for over 30 years, resigned. He was forced to resign. Combination of, we're not totally sure, the Chinese government, parliament, some business guys, whatever. He's a terrible leader. Her family fled Zimbabwe. And uh, I was talking to her, she was in tears on the phone, talking to me and Jackie, man, I can't believe he, he's, he, he's out. That, that's, that's leadership that goes, I'm going to use a group of people to, to, to live. And he lived wealthy. Poor nation. One of the worst economies in the world. Uh, and, and he's living high off the hog. And, uh, but, but Jesus-shaped leadership, as uh, we see that with Jesus, he literally lifts in the cross. He carries us. He, he, he sacrifices for us. He serves us. The cross wasn't about being comfortable and being above people. It was, it was the ultimate act of service. And so again, someone who's, who's leading in a family uh, or a household, uh, which by the way is the testing ground for an elders, we'll see in a minute, a good father, a good husband, um, and in leading his home, he doesn't just make decisions about the future without consulting his wife, consulting his kids. That would be terrible leadership. You would ask, man, how, how would this decision impact you? Or, sweetie, I'm thinking about this decision. What do you think? You'd pray about it. And that's the kind of leadership you see in the church. But you may end up in a space as you lead where, yeah, you've heard them out and you go, I know, sweetie, I know this doesn't sound like the thing we want to do, but, but we need to do this. Like this is the thing. After, after I've heard you out, I'm doing the best I can. This is what I think we're supposed to do. And so even though we don't have votes, we want people's input. This is important. Um, good leaders ask two questions. Jesus, what do you want us to do? And two, how will this impact the bride you've entrusted to me? Um, Jesus, what do you want us to do? So um, in America, the, the, uh, for, for many people, the goal of the church is to get as big as possible. We want to be as big as possible too. We want to multiply it out. But, but, but we also have a bunch of people in, in a service or at one location or one church uh, too often. And so it's kind of assumed you should always go to two services. It's kind of assumed you should always grow. Even if you don't have the people there to, to, to make that happen. So right now we're at a space where in our church, they, they say once you're at like the 80% mark uh, of attendance, you need to start thinking about a second service. That's kind of common American pastoral knowledge. You got to go to two services. Right now our church is beyond that. Uh, we're at like, it's just awkwardly full when you, on a Sunday. Right, you guys are probably pushing like 60, you got a couple weeks and then Tom's going to be like, dude, got to figure something out. But, um, but you kind of assume that that's what you need to do. And so right now I'm at the space like, man, I think we probably need to go to two services in the spring. I think we may end up doing that. I don't know, but I'm going to talk to people. 
go, we're, we're a church led primarily uh, volunteers lead our serve teams to ask them, man, how, is this possible for you guys? Are, are we able to do this? And to Jesus, what do you want us to do? And if Jesus says, go for it, then we're gonna have to challenge people and, and stuff. Um, but, but to ask, um, what do we need to do? Um, so again, yeah, and by the way, elders are, are pastors. Uh, they are uh, pastors. They are among the people. So I think Paul says in Acts 20, he says, I lived among you. One of the big parts of being an elder is you're an example to people. Leaders are example. They don't just talk a big game, but they, they live a big game. Or they live a medium game and then show off what repentance and growth looks like in front of people. They're, they're among the people. They are vulnerable. Again, they're not in a back room, smoking cigars, making decisions. Uh, you can't be an example if no one has access to your life, okay? So that's it. So pa- elders are pastors who lead the church, okay? A couple things. One is the character of an elder, who they are. You guys, about Bible, First Timothy chapter 3, um, <clears throat> verses 1. You guys with me? Come in tense. You're like, man, let's talk church. Let's talk elders. Uh, <laughs> but I promise, I, I think it is important because as you get started, I think some of you guys maybe have been wounded by bad leadership in the past. There's a good chance to go, okay, that isn't what Jesus, don't hold that against Jesus because he didn't tell them to lead that way. Uh, and then on the flip side of that, um, some of you guys, maybe um, you were led well, but you actually pushed away from that. Maybe you need to, to experience, maybe forgiving those people, healing in your heart. But either way, I think God wants to do some things as, as you start a, a fresh church. Some of you guys are, by the way, I think are called to be leaders one day. So you guys in this room, I believe will be elders. We'll be church planners. And we want to be about that, raising up and multiplying all the time. So for some of you guys, uh, it's also good for you to be thinking about that. So I think this is a good thing to do early on. All right, so First Timothy 3, 1 through 6, this is the character of an elder, who they are. It says, the saying is trustworthy. Paul writing to Timothy, a guy who's appointing pastors, appointing elders, same, same thing. He says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone desires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task, a noble thing. Um, it is a good thing to want to be a leader. Um, the key is why you want to be a leader, which I'm going to look at a passage in First Peter in a little bit that talks about the motivations for leadership. But wanting to be a leader isn't a bad thing. I think sometimes, because we know that, that, that guys want power or leadership or whatever, or authority, we always assume it's, 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 it's a bad thing that they want to be a leader because we've seen people abuse things like authority, power, uh, titles like leader. Again, if, if, if your goal in being a leader is to serve people and lift them up, we need more of that. Uh, we, we can't have enough of those leaders. If your goal is to build a platform for yourself and try to get a book deal uh, and get a, get a crazy Twitter following, uh, right? Uh, we, yeah, we don't, we don't need that. We're, we're good, okay? I, I remember I went one guy, I, 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 was, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who ended up planning a church and, and he was at a kind of a um, young adult ministry at the church he was at. And he had this guy, he's like, man, there's this young guy, he's dynamic, he's from a mega church. He, he's like, he's got a lot of ministry experience. He's only 21, but man, he has fire in the pulpit. He's exciting. And I said, man, what's his character like? He's like, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's, a, you know, he's a Christian. I was like, okay, it's not a good, good way to say it. Uh, so I was talking to that guy and I said, uh, I saw him and um, my buddy was like looking for someone to pass out flyers. And he said, oh, I'm not the kind of guy who passes out flyers. I'm more of an upfront guy. I was like, cool, you should not be upfront. Right? Yeah, I, I, some people are more comfortable behind the scenes, more comfortable doing some of that stuff. But to say you're above that uh, isn't, isn't the deal, right? Um, the point of my leadership in my home isn't to do the dishes, but I'm not above doing the dishes. I'm going to abuse people and take advantage of them. Again, it's about me being a, a, a big deal. So again, this, this leadership, I want you to see again, it exists for the good of people. Again, it's like a parent. All right, now let's get the qualifications. Two through seven. It says... Um, Therefore, an overseer, a pastor, an elder, must be uh, above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, 
not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of uh, the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This is not my water. I don't want to get sick. Um, not, not saying you're sick, bro. I'm just saying. Um, I don't know. All right. So, uh, so, so Paul lays out the character qualifications. Here's the thing about these character qualifications. A couple of things. Um, if, if someone isn't this, uh, they're not qualified to be a pastor or elder, okay? Uh, so that's important. Uh, the other thing I want to say is this is a very unimpressive list of character qualifications. Uh, D.A. Carson, a New Testament scholar, he says that elders are called to be a model of normal Christianity. Normal Christianity. Um, outside of being able to teach, uh, none of the stuff on here, uh, everything on here is character stuff. And, 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 and none of the stuff that's on this list is stuff that since you're not an elder, you get to do if you're a Christian, right? Oh, you're not an elder? Dude, go get drunk tonight. Have fun. You're not an elder? Dude, two wives and orgies. Go for it, dude. Dive in. Adultery? It's fine, dude. You're not an elder. Dude, do not be hospitable, bro. You're not an elder. Like, wait until you're an elder. Um, again, the only thing is, again, these are all character things we are all called to as disciples of Jesus. The Bible says that we're ambassadors of Jesus. Neil talked about this, living on mission. We need, all need to be well thought of by outsiders. If someone at your work were to find out you're a Christian and their response was like, no way. Really? That's not good, right? Because of, of how lazy you are, because of the way you gossip, the way you hurt people, the way you step on people or steal. Um, that's a bad disciple, not just a bad elder, okay? And by the way, um, this isn't a list of things that you, you do to become an elder. It's, it's who you are. And then people go, oh, you should be an elder because this is who you are. That's important. I had a guy, I've had two people that were really all about wanting to be elders and they were both some of the worst people I've ever met in my life and they both left our church and they, um, and they both, tell me what I need to do, bro. What do I need to do? It was like, like love people. Like I think it's like the key of most of this stuff is love God and love people. I know, man, but like, what do I need to do? And, um, and, and, and they never actually became this type of person. Um, so elders, again, they're, they're examples teaching us how to live um, the way really like anyone who's a disciple of Jesus should live. Um, uh, there's a guy named Ted Sin that we work with. He's a Presbyterian guy. Uh, don't hold that against him though. He's pretty amazing. Uh, and he, uh, he started this thing called CBR that some of our other churches use. You guys might start using it next year. It's a Bible reading plan. Uh, but he says that the character of an elder is worked out in three places, uh, the home, the church, and the world. And we see this in verse five, the idea of the home. Uh, Paul's arguing from the lesser to the greater. He says, if you can't oversee and lead your two or three little disciples, how are you going to lead hundreds of disciples in the church? Does that make sense? You can't lead this. If, you, if your um, budget at home is a disaster, how are you going to oversee uh, the, the church budget? If your marriage is a disaster, how are you going to help people um, in their marriages? How, how, what's that going to look like for you? And as we'll see in a second, a lot of eldering just looks like good parenting. By the way, this is why we believe um, that elders are male because passages uh, on men leading their homes in the Bible are very clear. And Paul seems to be saying, um, as you lead in the home is the way that you'll lead uh, in the church. 
Um, by the way, we believe women are just as smart and gifted. It's not an issue of capacity. It's an issue of calling. I don't fully understand it. Uh, if, I, if, if we could have women elders, I'd have three more elders tomorrow at Uptown. Like I uh, amazed. It's just how God's designs uh, um, the family and the church. Um, they're, they're just as capable. Uh, it's an issue of calling. Um, and the other thing that, that, that Ted says is that, um, again, that, that the character should be observable in the church, okay? Um, again, if I have no idea you're hospitable, right? Unless this is like one of the crazy low-key secrets of your life that you throw, kind of like a high school party, you throw these ragers that no one knows about, where that, that, but that are beautiful, where Jesus gets glory. Um, it's probably not going on, right? Like, oh man, just some, some secret dinner parties. It's usually like a weird thing. Um, if it's a secret that you're gentle, right? Like, uh, oh, he's not quarrelsome? Like, like you're probably, probably not gentle, right? Uh, I, thought, I thought, yeah, quarrelsome must mean something different in Greek because that guy's definitely that. No, he's, he's quarrelsome. Um, and then also in the world, right? Your business practices, I just talked about. If people who don't follow Jesus, people who don't follow Jesus should basically say this about you when they find out that you're a church leader. Oh, oh, that, that makes sense. Like, yeah, I'm not, I don't even believe that stuff, but he's, he's the kind of guy who's really honest. He's caring. He's, he's pretty wise. Uh, he's dedicated to his family. Like, I, I'm not really into that church thing, but like, I, that makes sense, dude. Like, like Tom's that kind of guy or Paul's that kind of, you know, whoever, whoever it is, that, that, that makes sense to me. I, I could see that. I could see him being a, a church guy. Um, they shouldn't be like, really? Church leader? Jesus is cool with it. Like that guy, like that's the example, like that, that's terrible. Okay. Um, so again, and by the way, this is someone who's not perfect. It's not that you never have a quarrelsome moment or you never have moments of failure. Um, it, this is, but this is the general pattern of your life. No one is never, no, no one is never, no one, sorry, no one is always 100% as gentle as they could be 100% of the time. Like that, right? There are moments of, of, of dropping the ball, um, but, but you're consistent. It's the general pattern of your life. Again, if someone were to read these, uh, this list of qualifications, they'd go, yeah, that's generally who they are, man. I haven't seen him get a lot of fist fights lately. I don't see that guy get drunk. I don't see that guy, like generally that's where he is. His marriage is, you know, they have, they have tiffs and stuff. They're not perfect. Um, but man, they, they, they repent towards each other. They apologize. Uh, they work through stuff. I've never heard them ever talk about something like divorce. There's been no, you know, that type of stuff. Um, so that's the character of an elder. The second is the competency of an elder. What does an elder do? So the first thing was, was um, who, does, who does an elder need to be? The character piece. The second one is the competency of an elder. Um, what do leaders in God's church do? What are they supposed to do? Um, uh, one of the weird things that's happened in the American church is, um, especially with big churches, is, is they, they, they don't have a lot of money to pay people. And so what happens a lot is what they'll do is they, to give guys tax breaks. Uh, they make people pastors who aren't pastors. Uh, and, and so they have like pastor of blank, like pastor of finances. Now you could be a pastor who deals with finances, but you're not necessarily just because you're in that role of pastor, okay? Uh, you could very well be a deacon or a staff member, right? Pa I heard of, um, I can't say it. I heard, I heard of some amazing, uh, pretty funny, like, yeah, yeah, I won't say it. Okay, Tom's only about one that he heard of that. Um, like pastor of painting, pastor of, like seriously, like stuff like that. Like pastor of facility, you're just like, that's not a pastor role. Like what does it mean to be a pastor anymore? Uh, tech pastor, it's like, are you, are you leading the, the board to Jesus? Like what does that mean? Uh, soundboard, that is. Um, 
this gets weird. So, so again, you might just go, I don't even know what pastors are supposed to do. Or you come to a church like uh, my uncle, I have a, a ragingly Irish Catholic family from Boston and a very culturally Catholic. Uh, it's pretty similar here to Southern California in terms of like Latinos or Filipinos um, where everyone's just Catholic culturally. Generally, that's, that's true. Some of them really know Jesus. They're following for a lot of us though. It's just cultural. And uh, my uncle just said, man, what do priests do during the week? <laughs> and uh, he's like, so what do you do all week? You just hang out, huh? Play golf? I'm like, I wish that's nothing like my life. My life is, um, it's hard. Yeah, we'll get into it. Uh, anyway, so that's, that's what we're about to do. <laughs> it's crying with people. It's talking people out of suicide. It's sitting with them when they're working through, potential, you know, adultery. It's driving someone to a mental hospital for the, hospital for the fifth time in two months. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's very um, gritty work, but, it, but it's the work that's described in 1 Peter 5, right? So 1 Peter chapter 5, um, verses 1 through 3. And uh, it says this, it says, so I exhort the elders among you, this is Peter, a different guy, not Paul, another apostle. Um, and he is, is writing, he says, I exhort the elders among you, he's writing to a church that's being persecuted. And now he's talking to the leaders of those churches. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, Peter, also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well, a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, right? I saw what happened to Jesus. I saw his trial. Uh, I was there, he denied him. Um, and also I, I know that I'm gonna be with him in glory one day. Day. He says, he says this, he says, shepherd the flock to these elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd Jesus appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory Likewise, you who are elders, sorry, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He keeps giving instructions, by the way. I'll keep reading, even though I didn't give them these verses. This is to elders, not just everyone, although they're good for everyone. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Eldership, leadership in the church is carrying a lot of anxieties that comes with the territory. You are, you know, you come into a room like this. Some of you guys go into a room like this, you're like, this is just awkward small talk and uh, I don't know what to do. They're singing, I don't know if I'm supposed to. Uh, I, I walk in a room like this often when, when I'm leading it and I go, man, I know what's going on in that gal's life, in that guy's life. I know that he's here for the first time in three weeks. He has a lot of shame over some stuff going on. I know this person's, in and out of dealing with addiction. I know this, does that make sense? So, so, so when you know that stuff, th there is a lot of anxieties. And then there's all the, the, the oversight stuff. Verse eight, be sober-minded, be watchful. Uh, your adversary, the devil, kind of a big adversary, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I just have to tell you, that is intense. So as an elder, eldership, again, again this, ex this leadership exists for those who uh, are being led, it's not for the person, right? So in being an elder, I get to, I get to carry anxieties that I need to cast on Jesus. Um, I, suffering's on its way. Uh, also the devil trying to kill me, side note. Not, never in any of the job descriptions uh, I've looked at for, for pastoral jobs, um, but it's there, right? Big deal. And so, so, so that's important. So, so, so look, a couple of things. Uh, what do pastors do? Uh, one quick thing, Peter gets really into what motivates elders and pastors. Um, he says, don't do it under compulsion. This gets into the having the desire to do it. Um, like if people are like, you have to be an elder, right? Like they're just like, Rory, if you don't become an elder, uh, half this church is leaving tomorrow, right? Like this is your last chance, dude. 
you're coming on to eldership or we're leaving. Uh, if you're like, I have no desire to do that. Again, this is a pretty hard gig. Uh, you should want to do it. Even when you want to do it, it's hard. Um, uh, don't, don't do it on compulsion. Um, so, so some people, for, they just want people's approval. So, so they'll do it. Um, some people do it out of greed. And you see this often in the third world. In the West, it's very rare that pastors make a lot of money. Uh, it's definitely not the case in church planning. Look around this room. Uh, this building is free. Uh, there, there are a lot of pieces. Uh, there's just a lot of, if, if, if you get into ministry in the West to get rich, like you have some, A, um, some character stuff, but B, like you just have some really limited job opportunities uh, when you're like, man, I want to get rich pastoral ministry. I'm going to, I'm going to hit it hard. Um, but in the third world, oftentimes uh, pastors are very respected. And so oftentimes they're given gifts, they're given all kinds of things. Um, and, 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 and that could be a motivation. Um, and then the last one is some people get in because they just want to be in control. They want power. He says, don't be domineering. So, so don't, don't do it out of compulsion because you want people's acceptance. Don't do it out of greed because you want a comfortable life, which by the way, it's not that. Um, three, um, uh, don't do it because you just want to be in control. Like, like um, if you watch like the, the show, The Office, like Dwight Schrute, you know what I'm talking about? Um, that guy, that guy shouldn't be an elder, right? I just want to be in charge. The assistant to the assistant regional manager. I just want a title. I want a badge, uh, right? Uh, give me a hat, anything, right? Uh, d- d- desk, something, uh, power, I want to be domineering. I want to tell someone what to do. Um, and eldership is not for people who like controlling people. Um, elderships, when you come face to face with the reality that you can't control anybody. As a leader, I can't make anyone love Jesus. Literally, I literally can't. I can tell them to. I can model it. I can pray for them to do that. I can show them from the scriptures why that's a great idea, but I can't force them to love him. That's something only God can do. Eldership is is sharing what the word says and then watching someone not listen and shipwreck their life. Eldership is watching people make sinful, foolish, destructive decisions and you can't control them. You wish you could. You wish you could be domineering, but you can't. It's laying down your life. It's, 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 It's like a parent, you do your best to help someone follow Jesus, but you can't force them to. So it's not for domineering people. Uh, Verses four through five, uh, he gets into what an elder does, which is the point of this uh, whole thing. Three things. Uh, We see shepherding, oversight, and teaching. Uh, He says, uh, shepherd the flock, flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, and then he calls them elders. Uh, they're kind of three words uh, throughout the New Testament used uh, for pastors, for elders. They're all the same thing. Uh, the words are uh, poimen, which means shepherd, episkopos, which means overseer. Uh, I forget the one for teaching, but there's three things, shepherd, uh, shepherding, oversight, teaching. Um, and so shepherding, poimen, it's kind of a word we're familiar for with like pastor, pastoral care, uh, kind of the priestly role. Um, and uh, really it's shepherd, it's shepherding. Um, I, uh, I do a little bit of work in Ireland and in Ireland, uh, there are sheep everywhere. I think there are more sheep than people. I don't know if that's a true fact. Can we make that up right now? Um, but, but sheep, um, the first time me and Jackie were there, I was driving left side of the road. It's intense. And there are sheep everywhere. And uh, Raquel knows about how this goes. And uh, me and my wife, we turned into like the wrong driveway and like 18 sheep rolled up on us. Like, you know, like, uh, uh. We had a magical dialogue that could have been a Disney movie. What are you looking for? I was like, that sheep's talking with an Irish accent. <laughs> now, a great lady, it's like a stereotypical small Irish woman came out and was like, where are you looking to go, darling? Um, so, so you might be thinking, man, like in San Diego, Temecula, SoCal, I'm not watching, I'm not seeing a ton of shepherds walk around, not a ton of sheep walking around. Um, so I don't really know what, what shepherding means. What does that even mean? Uh, I'll give you four things. Uh, shepherds lead sheep. 
They feed sheep, they discipline sheep, they protect sheep. They lead sheep, they feed sheep, they discipline sheep, they protect sheep. Lead sheep, um, lead, le- leading sheep, you're, you're helping them go somewhere, right? Sheep tend to not know uh, where to go. Uh, two, you're helping them grow, you're feeding sheep. Their well-being, you're nurturing them. With us, it's, it's with the scriptures, it's with the gospel. We're nurturing them with the love of Jesus. It's revealed in his word and the power of the spirit. Um, you're helping them stay on track, discipline. Um, sheep, and don't take this personally, but it's true of you and of me, sheep are dumb. Sinners are dumb, okay? That's all of us. Uh, sheep are notorious for walking off of cliffs. It's like, hey, I'm walking. Oh man, I don't really get how gravity works. I'm a sheep, dead, right? They're also notorious for like a hundred sheep walking over together to their deaths, like, like one in a row, like, like, like a hundred in a row, uh, no one getting the memo, like this is how sheep die. Like this is not a good move. We should stop this. Um, they need a shepherd coming in and say, hey, don't listen to Larry the dumb sheep. He's leading you to your death. There are green pastures over there. Let's hit the pastures, not pass away. All right, uh, pasture pass away situation. Very witty shepherd we're dealing with here. Uh, but literally like in Jordan, like last year, it was like a hundred sheep all plunged to their death because one was like, let's walk off this cliff. And they all just literally dove in. Um, so spiritually, we're like sheep. We're prone to death. We're prone to stupidity. We need people to say, I love you, but no, let's get out of here. We're not going to do what this, this is stupid. You know, this is a bad idea in your gut. You want this. This is your strongest desire right now. This is not your deepest desire right now. You want to leave your wife right now because things are really hard. I promise you, you're going to regret this. This isn't the deepest thing you want in your life, even though it doesn't feel the desire to leave is stronger right now. You don't want to forgive that person. You want to hang on to that bitterness. It feels good to be a victim, but man, who are you going to be in 20 years? You just hang on to bitterness. We need people to, 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 to discipline us, to, to go, no, I'm, I'm not going to, I love you. I'm not going to let you do that. Um, the other thing shepherds do is they protect sheep. By the way, I hope you're seeing none of this is CEO stuff. It's like breastfeeding, shepherding, like all the stuff that the, the, the metaphors in scripture are all giving yourself away in leadership. It's not um, domineering over people. So if you've been wounded by leaders, I'm so sorry. Um, protect sheep. Uh, in Ireland, uh, the, the church we work with is on the border of Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. And the county that this town is in was the most dangerous place in the world to be a British soldier for 20 years during Ireland's sectarian conflict, during the Troubles, the Protestant Catholic beef, which really isn't Protestant Catholic, it's, it's loyalist Republican. Do you want Ireland to control Ireland or England to control Ireland? It's its own thing. But again, it's guised in Christian lingo, which by the way, makes church there very complicated. Um, but that being said, um, it was a very dangerous place. The IRA was kind of headquartered uh, in one of two to three places. And one of them was this county. Um, they called it bandit country. Literally, this, this guy said growing up, there would be... Um, there would be uh, checkpoints uh, in there, just in there. It's like a small, you go there now, it's a small farm tank. Like what? Checkpoints with British Army or IRA checkpoints on their streets where they're looking through your car uh, with guns and stuff. And as a kid, um, his grandfather led a, a church, a church, not kind of non-dominational evangelical church, smaller church in Northern Ireland. And the IRA came in and shot the place up and killed nine people. Uh, he was uh, in a little like kind of pack and play. I don't know what pack and plays were in the 80s, but um, some kind of, playpen crib thing uh, on stage as a baby while his mom was leading worship on keys, like just like right here, a uh, little baby. And, um, and uh, there was two guys in the front of the church who were shot and killed, um, but they actually slowed down the whole, kind of the whole deal or kind of helped end the whole deal. And, um, and they were elders. It was kind of like, like, and that's such a classic picture of eldership. It's like, man, classic elders, like go out front, um, 
stared at the gap between people. Um, and he, and he, he almost got shot as a baby. Um, but, but literally, these elders step in uh, doing what elders do. They're out front protecting and leading. They're not in their castle hiding like a king. They're out front protecting and serving um, and leading. And this is the kind of leadership we see again with Jesus. He, sacrificed, he lays down his life for his friends. Again, just like a good dad, if someone breaks into my house and I'm like, you guys saw my son Calvin out here. I'm like, Calvin, get your baseball bat. Check that out for me. Made terrible dad. Yeah, he's five. He would love it. He'd be like excited, like an adventure. Like, man, I'm gonna finally get to hit someone with a bat. Um, every night they run through scenarios of bad guys coming in. It's like, they have like 19 plans. I don't think any of these would work, but it's fine. It's like, what if I did this? What if I did this? Um, now that's a physical example. We often don't have physical examples like this in America, um, but the spiritual and emotional danger is very real for elders and their families. I just, the devil's trying to kill us. <laughs> no big deal. Um, people come into our churches and our hope is that you would never have to meet them. But people who want to take advantage of people financially, they want to take advantage of people sexually. They're literally there to harm people. They're there to run a pyramid scheme. They're there to spread false doctrine and elders have to stare those people down and say, um, you're not going to run your pyramid scheme here. You're not going to swindle people. You're not going to take advantage of the women or the men in our church sexually or the children in our church. You're not going to come in here and cause division with toxic behavior, with gossip, with slander. We're not going to let you do that. You're going to reconcile or, or, or you're going to have to go. And so spiritually, man, we, we stand at the door so you don't have to. Um, also, elders perhaps do their best to protect people uh, when they wander into sin, protect them from themselves, having conversations with people that they don't really want to have. Again, strongest desire versus deepest desire. And again, being a father has taught me a lot about being an elder. I have to lead my kids. I have to cast a vision for my kids. Here's why we're doing what we're doing. Here's where we're trying to go. Here's why it matters that you do your homework today because the implications for tomorrow. I have to provide for them and feed them, kind of basic. I have to help them um, stay on track, right? When they're mean to each other, when they're, they're disrespectful to their mom, when they want to do dumb things that involve jumping off of things or running in the street or putting their hands in toilets, like kids just have dumb ideas, Right? That's just, that, that's us, by the way. That is us. Like, that is sinners to the max. Like, man, that toilet looks so good. Like, I just want to, it's like a little pool. Like, I just want to put my hand in it. And my daughter just thinks I'm such a hater. Like, I just want to put my hand in it. It's like, no, no, that's like such a metaphor for sin. Like, hand in the toilet and you're bummed out that you're not allowed to. It's the, it's the jacuzzi I always wanted, Dad. And I also have to protect them from external dangers. I have to protect them from strangers, right? Protect them from themselves and from others. It's the same thing with elders and pastors. We, we call people to stay away from sin. We, we call people to, to build boundaries into their life. We call people to, to, to abide in Jesus, to love him, to know him, to follow him. We, we call people, we plead with people to handle conflict the right way. We have to explain to them, here's where we're going. I'll say, here's where, where you're going right now. Here's where you're heading. Here's where we're heading. And actually you want to go where we're heading. You just don't know it yet, but I promise when we get there, you're going to love it. And you look like Jesus. So there's shepherding. So, so there's oversight. Um, Sorry, there's shepherding. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's huge. Uh, another big thing, uh, oversight. It's a word episkopos in Greek. Uh, the Greek word, uh, it's, it's for overseer, oversight. So there's shepherding, overseeing, and teaching. This is overseeing. Um, it's a Greek word that was used for shepherds who were literally overseeing flocks or military commanders or generals who were literally overseeing armies. They're up on a mountain uh, overlooking uh, their people uh, or their, their sheep. Uh, they're above to see context, to see threats, to see where they're going, to see if the enemy's on attack. Um, this is what elders do. Um, they're, they're, they're trying to get up out ahead to see where the church is heading. 
um, where it's growing, where it's being threatened. This small group of gospel community is healthy. This one's sick. This person's in a bad spot. This person's thriving. They're growing. They see healthy sheep, strong sheep, sick sheep, biting sheep. Uh, another thing with oversight is that uh, they oversee the whole church, not just their favorite part of the church, right? They're not the people who like um, write checks to one ministry, right? Like, like if you're gonna spend my tithe on it, it has to be the worship band, right? They're like, we've run out of stuff. They're like, dude, we need more fog machines, right? Or, or whatever. Get me more lasers. See that hologram of Kanye at Coachella a few years ago? We could do that with Tom. Yeah, they don't just pick one ministry and just go this, 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 you know, kids ministry, right? All I want to do is kids ministry, social justice, worship, prayer. Um, Jesus died for the whole church, for kids and for worship leaders. He died for teenagers, for middle-aged people, for the elderly. Jesus died for the whole thing and elders oversee all of her, this whole bride. So so they shepherd, they oversee. The third thing elders do is they teach Um, and they teach with the scriptures. They don't just teach with their good ideas. Um, they, they, every, our counsel, our, our oversight, our disciplines according to the scripture. If it's not according to the scripture, it's not something you need to listen to, okay? Uh, it's not a fortune cookie. And we're not like palm readers. We just give you random ideas and advice. It needs to line up with this word. This is, so, this is where people get wounded and hurt and abused because they listen to someone who's not using this. They're using this or this, and it may be a real sick version uh, of this. Uh, there's a guy named Mark Dever. He uh, leads the church planning movement. He says that, that, um, that elders work in the judicial branch of government, not the legislative. We don't make up stuff. We interpret things in light of, like, the, in light of the Bible, not the actual, but like we go, does this line up with the Bible? And then we go, this is how the church should be run. We don't go, um, I think God's like this. You guys want to pass a, what God's like theology? No, we, we go, what does this book always say who God was? Does it line up with that? That's how we make decisions. We don't just go, what, what's, what's cool right now? Um, uh, elders don't need to be Bible scholars. If they were all Bible scholars, they wouldn't be elders. They'd be busy scholaring. Um, you can be, I actually had a friend who's a Bible scholar and an elder, but that's a rare, rare bird. Um, but they do need to be able to answer the core questions from these 66 books that make up this one big book. Um, they, they need to be answered questions like, who is God? They need to be able to answer questions about the, the, the attributes of God, the character of God. They need to answer questions about what he has done, about our great salvation, things like um, creation and salvation and justification and sanctification. Like, I don't know what those words mean exactly. So we need elders in your life to walk you through what those things are because they're all amazing and I don't have time to unpack them. But Jesus gives you a lot of amazing stuff in the gospel. And then in light of what he's done, elders partner with the father to instill a gospel identity from the scriptures. If you're adopted, that means you're a son or a daughter. If you're justified, that means you are righteous and perfect and God will never hold your sin against you ever. If you're being sanctified, that means you're set free from the power of sin, you just don't know it yet. And that your jail cell of of destructive choices actually has a key in it that that you have, you just didn't know it. And you can leave with Jesus whenever you want and he would love to leave with you. So who is God, what has he done? How do we live in light of that? Uh, Or sorry, uh, who are we in light of what he's done? And then how do we live in light of what he's done? kind of the ethical moral questions. What does it look like to live like Jesus in light of who we are? Um, and this is why it's, by the way, um, this is why it's so important that we, the elders are, are examples. They live among you. They don't just tell you things from the Bible, but they're exa- living examples of it. Paul said, I, I, I lived among you. Elders teach us the word and they live out the word as an example. It's helpful to hear that you're supposed to love your wife like Christ loves the church. It's also really helpful to watch a guy do it. 
it's, it's, it's helpful to hear that this is how conflict should be done. Matthew 18, Ephesians 4, all that stuff. It's helpful to actually see someone be walked through how to do that conflict or see someone else model reconciliation. Um, does that make sense? This is stuff so important. It's helpful to hear a lesson about confessing <laughs> sins. Um, by the way, your elders are going to be sinners. Um, but, but the thing about elders is that they, they are the, the, the Jack, this guy named Jack Miller. And he said the elders should be the lead repenters in the church. If we don't teach you how to repent, no one will. So, and first John says that we all have sin. <laughs> Even, you know, and if we say we don't have sin, we're liars. Okay. So, so, so elders will go, Hey, you know what? Tom did it the other day. He, he, he was preaching. He made a comment about someone who was here and then he apologized for it. And you guys graciously received him. And it was amazing. And it's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to, a lot of guy elders, they pretend like something they did. Everyone knew wasn't cool, was cool. And they lose authority and credibility. Same thing with like kids whose parents don't apologize to them and they clearly sin. Um, it's so important for, for leaders to be examples in that area. Um, I have no idea where we're at time-wise. Okay. Um, the, the last thing Tom, we talk about is different kinds of leaders. Uh, if you guys have Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter four. So the last thing we'll look at, I'll try to do this very, very quickly. You guys awake? Yes. Intense. All right. Love some ecclesiology. It's Sunday nights, dude. All right. Love the smell of coffee in the morning and Bible pages at night. Ephesians 4, verse 11 through thir- uh, 9 through 13, it says, In saying he ascended, this is the Apostle Paul writing, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles the prophets, so it's Jesus, he, he died, then he rose again, then he ascended into heaven, then he gave the church gifts, he, and the gifts are people. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. To equip means to make complete, uh, to make complete, to make the saints complete for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Um, and the idea here is that uh, Jesus gives the church gifts, uh, different types of leaders. Um, these aren't necessarily elders. They can be elders. Elders oversee the local church. Um, but these are gifts that help people grow in certain areas of being the church. Um, so um, the best way to describe this, a couple things, by the way. We believe that all of the gifts listed here still exist. And the reason we believe that, like we believe there are still apostles, for example. Um, and the reason we believe that, it might not be what you think it is though, uh, is because it says that they'll exist until we are per- the church is perfect. Which, spoiler alert, like just so you guys know, um, it's not perfect, okay? Uh, it's, it's not perfect. Um, it needs equipping. It needs to be, uh, it needs help being made complete. Um, and so there's apostle, apostle in Greek, the word apostolos, it just means sent one. Uh, it's, it's where we get the word missionary. Uh, the, the Latin word for the Greek word is, is where we get the word missio, where we get the word missionary in English. Uh, so we'd say anyone who's going to start a new gospel work, like a church plant, is functioning in an apostolic role. Does that make sense? So, so, so think missionary, don't think like guy who writes Bible, okay? Uh, there are a lot of apostles in the Bible. Their names are listed. They never wrote Bible. Um, and there are guys who um, weren't apostles who wrote the Bible, like Luke, for example, who wrote more Bible than anyone in the New Testament. Um, but they helped start new gospel works. They really care about seeing Jesus go um, out into the nations. Uh, then there's the, the prophets. Uh, prophets are people who really value um, hearing and responding to the voice of God. They really value um, ex- uh, hearing from God and then obeying him. He reveals who he is, what he's done, what he calls them to. And they go, man, let's do that. They're like ready to go. Uh, and, uh, there's, um, 
Uh, have you guys ever taken a strengths finder test? Anyone done that before? There's one called Activator. I have that. Uh, it's basically like it says like your first question is always like, why didn't we start this yesterday? Like when you're, you're dreaming about something. Uh, I think Tom has this gift. Um, they're similar to this, but in the spiritual sense. Like God's been saying that to you. Like let's obey him. Like we, can, we don't have to wait to obey him. Like we can do it now, even if it's hard because he's worth it. And, uh, and so, so they have that gift. Uh, the next one's evangelist. Uh, this is really just someone who really cares about the gospel going out. Um, they're like, uh, literally in Greek, it's like gospel person. Uh, they care about the lost, that people, uh, and by the way, we should all care about the lost, but they're good at helping us grow in our ability to reach the lost with the message of Jesus. They, have, they carry a heart for those outside the church. They'll always ask questions if they're in churches, like, what are we gonna do to like, get people who don't know Jesus in here, right? Like, I love the new robes, the choir looks amazing, but like, what about like my... Um, neighbor who's a single mom who's pregnant. She doesn't know who the dad is and she has no idea who Jesus is either. Um, like, can we help her instead of just talking about the songs we're going to sing on Sunday? And again, it's not bad to think about this, but you need to think about this too. And they'll, they'll remind you of that and they'll even help you do that. Um, then there's the shepherds. They care about maturity. We talked about earlier. Um, I think you can have a gift where you, you shepherd, but you're not a elder necessarily. You have to be a shepherd to be an elder, but you can have a heart for helping people grow to spiritual maturity and, and not be an elder. Uh, a lot of people who end up in like counseling and uh, end up in like um, ministries where they care for people, pray for people, um, teach people how to grow. That's maturity. Uh, the gift of shepherd. The next one's a teacher. This is someone who's just really passionate about teaching the scriptures. Again, you can't be an elder and not be a teacher. Uh, however, um, there are people who are not elders, like people at seminary professors, for example, Bible college guys, and also just people who are really good at teaching the scriptures. They, they know the Bible really well. They want to help people live in light of it. Um, again, uh, you, you can be a teacher, not be an elder, but you need to be an elder to be a teacher. Now, now these guys uh, in Gauss, they, um, they uh, minister to the church in a way where like, they can come alongside churches and elders and help them um, uh, grow to maturity, okay? Now, they don't control the elders. They don't tell the elders what to do, um, but they come alongside. The best analogy I can use for this in a non really churchy niche thing is like uh, me and my wife we went to a parenting conference uh, a couple of years ago. And while we were there, um, we were really submitting ourselves to the, these people's teaching. And we were saying like, help us become better parents. What we weren't doing was saying, you become, you take over, you're in charge, right? But we're saying, come alongside us as we use our authority to, to grow our kids to, to, to maturity and wholeness. Um, we were learning from them and, and these gifts will do that same thing. I believe Brad Sarian at Restored LA is a teacher. When he comes, I don't know when he's coming, he'll probably be in here to preach at some point um, in January. He's gonna open the Bible in a way where you go, I understand it and I like, love it. And I want like more of it. And, and, uh, and, and there's other people that are tied to, to our family of churches and they, they really are evangelists. And when they, come in, when they talk about people coming to know Jesus, like I wanna help someone come to know Jesus. I wanna start praying for my friend. I wanna invite my friends to this thing. We hang out with prophetic people. You want to like grow in prayer and listening to God's voice and, and, and obedience. When you hang out with the shepherd, you're like, I have a lot of crap. I need to get sore. I, I want to get healthy and I want to help other people get healthy. So again, here's, here's the thing I want you to see. And I'll, this is my last point. Um, in America, because we haven't had like the plurality of leadership, it tends to be like one guy who's good at talking and then it's a group of people. Um, typically, whatever that guy's one gift is, is what the church is all about. And that's all the church is about. Right? So some churches are led by evangelists and, and the guy does a great job of, of sharing the gospel like an evangelist. But, but then what happens is, is the only thing that matters is evangelism. So an evangelist is like, hey, say this prayer, believe in Jesus. And then like you, there's no shepherds in the house. And so it's kind of like a really jacked up neonatal intensive care unit where there's a bunch of babies on the floor and they have, they have poop all over them and blood and they're screaming. And they're like, hey, let's just get more babies in here and let's not do anything with them. And then, and then they become the types of Christians who don't know how to live out their faith. And so they're just straight up hypocrites if they even know they're supposed to share their faith. 
Um, you, you have some churches led by teachers and, and, and all that matters is knowing the Bible, not obeying the Bible, knowing the Bible. I know a church, I won't say who it is. I know a church where they have a, um, a Hebrew class for stay-at-home moms between the ages of two, their kids are two to four. Uh, so they have Hebrew for every single, it's like, all you need to do is know the Bible. Nothing wrong with knowing the Bible. Um, but if you know the Bible and you don't obey it, that's not uh, helpful. Uh, their church is kind of classic. It's the charismatic churches, right? Uh, prophetic stuff, right? Like, they're, man, have you, had, have you, have you ever uh, had gold dust on you? Have you, ever, have you heard an angel sing? Oh, you never heard an angel sing? <laughs> okay, one day, right? Have you ever touched the hem of his robe in prayer? One day you'll know, buddy. You know, like what? Uh, and again, now, if you could have a genuinely, a genuine, and there's a lot of concern about counterfeit stuff, but if you could have a genuine supernatural encounter with God, no matter how weird it seemed, if it was real, wouldn't you want it? Would you want to actually hear angels sing if, you, if it was real? It's amazing. But when that's all you do, that's the Corinthian church. That's their, all they do is like, man, I speak angel. I'm speaking in tongues. I'm healing people. Cool. But like, do you even know who Jesus is? And I go on and on and on. So, so, so we, want, we shouldn't have to choose between a church that has a supernatural faith and believes the Bible. We shouldn't have to choose between a church that believes the Bible and wants to see people that come to know Jesus. We shouldn't have to choose between a church that um, wants to grow to maturity and wants to hear God's voice. Again, these are all important aspects of what it means to know Jesus. And as a church, as a church, family of churches, we don't want you to have to pick either. We want you to know your Bible. We want you to know how to pray and listen to the Spirit. We want you to know how to engage um, with your friends who don't know Jesus in a way that's not awkward and normal, and, but faithful. Um, we want all that stuff for you. We want to know your Bibles, all that stuff. So, so that being said, um, all of those things are necessary and all of them lead to maturity. A lot of churches are just one thing, so they're immature. But, but we want um, you to be all of these things. So uh, I'm gonna call Tom up uh, towards response. But I just wanna say, this is what leadership's all about is, is, is helping you become who God's called you to be and walk with him faithfully um, for as long as you're, you're on this earth, man. So tense, but there it is, yeah. There are specific um, people that God has called you to, called you to leave, called you to uh, lay your life down for, to live for their benefit. If you're a parent in the room, I can think of um, your children, your spouse, but I think every single person in the room has people in our life that God has called us to. God doesn't primarily call us to a place or to a task. He calls us to people. His heart is for people. So that's the first person uh, that I'm convinced that God wants you um, to kind of recalibrate your leadership to refocus, to reestablish the role that he's given you, the call that he's given you to live for the benefit of other people. And I think for some of us in that same first category, stay with me for just a second, that same first category, I think that there's people that you have um, uh, like a shifting or a change in this season of your life. And you're going to have a decision to make. And I believe God wants to help clarify that decision. So that's the first kind of group. The other group is I think that <clears throat> when you hear Andy talk about this idea of laying your life down um, for the bride of Christ, this idea of leading in the family of God. Um, that your heart kind of leaps. And not in the like, oh, I really want that because I want power, but for the sake of, um, for the sake of like, 
I think I, I think that that responsibility is something that's on my heart. So there's the person, the first group of, of people that you feel like that, that, that God wants to recalibrate, reestablish your leadership in the way that you care and live for the benefit of other people. And the second is people that you, you feel like God might be calling you to eldership. And here's what I want to do. The reason I ask you to close your eyes isn't to be like overtly spiritual. Um, it's because I really want you to focus. I want to minimize the distractions in your mind, in your heart, as much as I possibly can in this moment because I want you to hear from the Spirit, friend. And I want to invite you, not force you, but invite you to press into hearing from him now in this moment personally. But whether whether you're in kind of group A or you're in group B or both maybe, here's what I need you to know. The only way that you're ever going to live for the benefit of others effectively is if you see the love of Jesus for you clearly. That he laid his life down for you. That at great cost to himself, he went to the cross. And yes, he, he died for the sins of the world, yes, but he died for your sins. He died to cover you. From his birth until his death and his ascension, he lived for your benefit. And what did he get out of it? Well, he's got scars in his hands and in his feet. But he also has the joy of knowing that he can reconcile, that you can be reconciled back to him because he loves you that much. So here's what I want for you in this moment. Normally, we, 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 we kind of follow up a preach with, with responding in praise, and we're going to do that. But before we do, I just think that the Spirit has some heart work He wants to do with some of us in the room. So we're going to take just a moment. I'm going to invite you to keep processing and praying individually. And I want you to listen. Um, Rocky's going to sing over us. You don't, need doing, you don't need to join her. We're going to take just a moment, hear from him, and then we'll collect you back together and we'll praise, okay? <laughs>